Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. What's up, church? Hey, how you doing? If you're online uh, with us right now or later, we're really happy that you're here with us too. Life will beat you down if you let it. But it's not a matter of how hard you can hit. It's a matter of how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. That's how winning's done. That's what Rocky Balboa said in one of his movies, one of the greatest movie series of all time. That's not even up for debate, by the way. Um, that's what he said to his son when his son was dealing with some difficult moments. What should you do in trying times? Last week we uh, saw and we, we heard from James that uh, there's a way to go through suffering. When suffering collides with your life, there's a thing that you can remember and it'll help you approach it in the right way because when we suffer, there are two options we have. We can either go toward bitterness or we can go toward Jesus. One leads to death, one leads to life, and uh, we've all probably been there on both paths when we've suffered. But this is what we remember from last week. Uh, and if you don't remember, that's why I'm reminding you. This is what he says. When you suffer, remember that this trial can produce a new level of strength and faith in you. That was our takeaway from last week. So that's something to remember. But what do you do when you are in the midst and in the thick of trying times? What, what should you do? A lot of us, I don't know if you're like me, but a lot of us, we tend to do uh, some, some paths that James would say this is probably not the best route for us. Some of us, we, we go toward anger when we are dealing with trying times, right? We just get frustrated. We turn to bitterness really quick. We get, we get cynical about life. We get cynical about people. And, and we are just angry. Some of us, we have anger just kind of at the surface. And when we go through suffering, that's what comes out. Uh, others of us, when we are dealing with suffering, we go toward distraction, you know, it's why we binge watch shows, because there's enough stuff in our life that we don't really want to deal with it. We just want to get busy or distract our minds enough so that we don't have to think about it. We just go uh, down that path and, and we just kind of numb ourselves and hope that the stuff that we're dealing with, that the things that we're not dealing with, that it's there, go away on its own. Uh, others of us, we go toward isolation. This is one that uh, I tend to do if I'm in a bad place, is I'll go and isolate myself away from people and just kind of be in my own head. And some of us, we need that. You know, introverts kind of need a little bit of time to re recharge the batteries. Um, but if you stay in that space too long, uh, that's not going to be good for you. Uh, and so we, we sometimes go that. And in, in trying to cope with it, in, in the suffering, we make things Worse, some of us, we become indulgent. Like there's just some uh, addictive kinds of sins that we go to to try and numb the pain of the suffering that we have. And sometimes when you are in the thick of trying times, you feel weak and, and you're, you're, you're more uh, prone to go toward that path uh, when you are in suffering. Some of us, we uh, kind of get in our head and we sprinkle shame on top of the stuff that's already gone on. We kind of replay things. In our minds, like, this is what I should have done, this is what I should have said, this is what I shouldn't have done, this is what I shouldn't have said. And, and we replay it enough times, not because we're trying to, like, think through uh, how what God would want us to learn, but we're trying to just make sure that we feel even worse and we don't move past it. So what should we do in trying times? James would say none of those paths are the best path for us. 
And I know last week we talked about suffering, and, and this week James is not going to let up on us, okay? Uh, he's going he's gonna to give us a, a picture of what it looks like, what, what to do. Because like the last week was like, okay, we should remember this when we're going through it, but what do we do? Well, the, a lot of those options are probably some stuff that we do. Anybody else? Just me? Cool. All right. Well, I guess I'm all alone. James 1, 9 through 11. This is where we're going to be. James 1. And by the way, if you've got a Bible at home, bring it here. That way you can look at it because it's only going to be on the screen for a little bit. If you're at home, go grab that thing, you know, the dust off, you know, and, and it's good. It's good to, to, to pull. I'm just kidding. I know you guys are in it all the time. One James 1, verse 9. This is what the half-brother of Jesus says to us. Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises and together with the scorching wind dries up the grass, its flowers falls off and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. Now, maybe you're thinking like, well, hold on, what? That seems like a left-hand turn that was not expecting. Like, did James just see a squirrel and go down that path, and then we're along for the ride? Well, have you ever uh, dealt with a trying time that was at all connected to finances or the lack thereof or the abundance of and losing it all? Anybody ever dealt with that? Okay. So maybe it's not so far out of place for James to follow up a conversation about, hey, when you are enduring trials, uh, if you endure, it's going to create endurance. And if you let endurance to have that full effect in you, it'll create maturity. And then you'll be mature, complete, lacking nothing. That's a good place to be. And if you don't have that mindset, that wisdom to live in, then you can ask God for it and ask it. Without being, without doubting, without being double-minded, and, and he will give it to you, because he graciously and wants to give that to you, and then he follows it up with this conversation about, if you're humble circumstances, you should boast in your exaltation. If you are uh, rich, then you should boast in your humiliation. That sounds like a fun time. But what he's getting at is sometimes, and I know this is none of you, I, I know, I know it's none of you, okay? But some people, those people of course, Sometimes it's easy to allow your net worth to dictate your actual worth. You know what I'm saying? So this is what he's saying to, to those who are, who are poor. Maybe uh, let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation. That's what, it's a nice way of saying you're poor. Okay? So if you are uh, brother and sister in humble circumstances, boast in your exaltation. He, here's what I think he's getting at. He's speaking to the poor um, and if you are in a space where, or maybe you, you remember a time, if you're not here now, you remember a time in your life where you were of humble circumstances, you didn't have a lot of resources, you didn't have a lot of stuff, you didn't have a lot of uh, ability to, to be uh, flexible, and you had margin in your finances, like every week was week to week, and you hoped and prayed that you had enough to get food on the table and pay a few bills at the same time, Right? Uh, if you are in that space, it's easy to connect your lack of net worth and think as if you are also lacking in actual worth as a human being. So he's saying, hey, the, let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation. In other words, uh, your net worth is not dictating your actual worth. Those who think that they are lowly because of their 
their, their lack of resources are actually on the same playing field as the person who drives the Maserati. You might be riding a moped, but you are on the same level of value as the guy driving the Maserati. Isn't that good news? Because some of y'all may be driven. I rode a moped back in the day. That was fun. I was really excited about it though. I was like 14. But what is he saying? Hey, you don't have to hate yourself. Because some of us, we've been in those moments. Maybe you're in that moment now where you are of humble circumstances. And you look at yourself. You look yourself in the mirror and you say, you are, you are failing. You are a complete failure. You are not worth anything because my bank account is at zero or low. You don't know where the next bill is going to be paid from. So we have a tendency, if you are of humble circumstances, to self-loathe. Like, I am not worth it. And the other temptation is to envy those who have stuff, right? Like, uh, if you're on social media, you open your phone and instantly you just start scrolling. And you, you can easily start to feel bad about yourself. Because all you're seeing, right, is someone's new car, someone's new house, someone's newly renovated kitchen, Someone's vacation that they went on. Uh, we tend to compare their perfect selfie. Like, look at them. Wow, that perfect makeup that's all done up with the perfect filter. Uh, let's not talk about that, though. It's all, it's all natural. And, and we look at everyone else's highlights while we're sitting in the, in the low moments of life thinking, well, why are we not there yet? Why don't I have that? And it's easy for us to envy. And even if you are some of the smart people and don't have social media, uh, you walk outside, and if you have anybody even close to you, it's easy for us to see our neighbor and the thing of their new boat or whatever they got, or their happy kids who never scream or cry or whatever, you know, uh, and they're always, you know, getting straight A's or whatever, and, and your kid, you know, not, not quite there. And you're like, wow, I wish I had that. To envy those who have more. And so, so James is telling us, hey, even if you're of humble circumstances, boast in what God has done for you because your net worth is not your actual worth. And that is good news. It's good news for those who are poor and it's good news for those who are rich. This is what he says. Verse 10, but let the rich boast in his humiliation. <laughs> That's fun. Uh, and by the way, remember, uh, anytime I talk about the rich folks, I always try to remind you that uh, in comparison to the rest of the world, uh, we here in America, even if you make a me- meager wage, you're in the top 1%, maybe 3% of the world's wealthiest people. <laughs> uh, so that's, anytime the Bible's talking about rich people, talking about you. Sorry. But let the rich boast in his humiliation. That's fun. Because he will pass away like a flower of the field. Great picture. For the sun rises and together with the scorching wind dries up the grass. Its flower falls off and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. James is fun. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so at our house, uh, the little spot landscaping that was already done by the person who lived there before, uh, we got a nice little purple flowers and they've kind of taken over everything and just kind of spread and you know, they're like rabbits but they're plants you know what I'm saying you know, they went over the head uh, some of you got that uh, but they're like springtime flowers they're around for like three or four weeks and then they're like done peace out right and now they're ugly and now it's just a bunch of ugly right and so uh, that's kind of what he's saying is that's how our wealth is the things that we have it's easy to go away 
And so he's saying, hey, like to the rich, he's speaking to the poor, and now he's speaking to the rich. Uh, and, and those uh, who have resources, who have stuff, who have the ability to have some margin and have some nice things, it's easy temptation. It's an easy tendency for us to, what the, what the young folks would say, flex. Like we're flexing on them. Like I, I think that's what y'all say uh, still, I think. See, I try to stay with it, but I don't know. Um, and, but, all the way, or show off. You get what I'm saying? Older folks, you're like, okay, now we're tracking. Uh, you, you know, show off and, and make sure that everyone sees how awesome you are. Maybe take uh, the, the, the picture that makes it look like you're even better than you actually are and all that. And, and we have a tendency to kind of posture as if we're, we've got it going on because we've connected our net worth with our actual worth. And because it's high, it makes us feel better about who we are. Right? And that can lead us to looking at other people who don't have as much with pity. And not like a compassionate pity, but a prideful pity. Like, oh, poor you, bless your heart. And y'all know what that means, right? From the South, y'all know what that means. Uh, bless your heart, because you don't have it. Oh, poor you, I, I wish you knew better. Right, And so James is trying to talk to this. What we're going to find out over the course of this series in the book of James, that this is a group of Christians who span the, the spectrum of, of socioeconomics. Okay? They are vastly diverse in that regard and ethnically all of that. And so he's speaking to this group of people where they all have. And of course, you know, that was a first century problem. Uh, it's not our problem. We've gotten past that of having, you know, boasting or being self-loathing about the fact that we have a high net worth or a low net worth thereof, right? And so this is their problem, but it's not our problem. But we're still looking at it because he's saying to the rich and poor, think rightly about yourself and boast in the one who actually deserves your boast. In other words, God has leveled the playing field. It doesn't matter if you're driving a moped or a Maserati. You're on the same playing field with God. Your worth is the same. And it's of infinite value. You cannot make enough to be more valuable in the eyes of God. You cannot have less and that diminish his view of you. And in our culture, and in our society, that's a hard thing to get through our thick skulls. Because we are uh, celebrated when we accomplish. We are celebrated when we, when we uh, have more and have more power. We are celebrated when that. But if any of you have ever been to uh, another place, a very impoverished place, maybe a third world country, or you've been on the mission field, uh, or you've just simply gone downtown in an urban environment into a city, and you've seen people who are homeless, uh, if you've ever sat down and talked to them, which, by the way, they are human beings. They are things to just be avoided. But have you ever talked to these kinds of people who have nothing but have a, a faith in Jesus? Like some of those people are the happiest people you ever be around. And you're like, you come home and you're like, what? I'm over here worried about the thing that I want to do with the house and stuff. And I've got all, I've got thousands more things than they do. And yet they're happier. They're more blessed. They're more uh, in tune with God than I am. And why? It's because sometimes when you have nothing, you realize that you have everything because you have him. Sometimes our stuff can get in the way of us worshiping him. Not always, but be careful to put your hope in that space, in that place. Because your worth doesn't come from your net worth. This is what James was getting at. He's 
He's just simply applying what he's already said in one specific area. He says, if you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly. This is verse 5. And it will be given to him. Verse 6. But let him ask in faith without doubting. This is what he's talking about. Double-mindedness. When we go through suffering, go through trials in life, it's, it's there that we find out who's really on the throne. What he's saying is, ask with faith, with your allegiance, with your loyalty, fully with God, not with something else. And he's simply saying that some of us, we can put our wealth, our resources, or our lack thereof on the throne. And when that happens and we lose it, We have no anchor to hold us through the storms. And so this is important for us to make sure that we are putting the right thing on the throne. To acknowledge that he is there. Verse 12. This is what James says. Blessed is the one who endures trials. Here we go again. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Blessed. Fortunate. Man, you're lucky <laughs> if you endure a trial. Earlier, he says, uh, Blessed are you, uh, when you when you consider a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith will create, mature, will create endurance, and endurance, you let it do its full work, you'll create maturity, and you'll be complete, lacking nothing, and, and, and before God, you'll be, you'll be perfect, complete. If you let him do the work that he's going to do through the thing you're going through. And now he says, so that's a, that's a thing that impacts our day in life right now, right? If you're mature, complete, lacking nothing, that's, that's right here. Be at a space where, where you don't need people's approval, uh, to, to feel good about yourself. You don't need people's, uh, affirmation. You don't need people's, uh, words or their lack of words that doesn't get you off the, off the grid. He, he's saying you can be completely mature, knowing who you are in Jesus, being able to live that out if you let endurance have its full effect. Now he's saying, hey, um, you're blessed, fortunate when you endure the trial because then you'll receive the crown of life. That's for life eternal. And so there's benefit to endure a trial. And for those of you who've been through some trials, who've been through some stuff, you know that there's no handbook for this. You know that there's no like five-step plan to suffer well. If so, we'd all do it. But James simply tells us, hey, you're blessed, you're fortunate if you endure the trial. So what should we do in trying times? When life happens, whether financially, physically, relationally, whatever, whatever it is, work-related, whatever it is. Should we turn to anger, turn toward bitterness? Because that's a real quick path to condemning God in the process. You know, sometimes the reason people turn their back on God is because they suffered because they, they endured, they, they had a trial that they did not endure in the grace of God. They endured the trial and that trial told them some things that were not true about God because they interpreted that as God's doing this to them. 
sometimes we can turn to anger and ter- turn toward bitterness and cynicism, and it doesn't lead to a good place. Uh, should we, what should we do in trying times? Distraction? Is that the best way to just try and stay busy and try and not deal with it? Should we turn toward isolation where we just get alone and, and try and push everyone away? Should we turn toward indulgence and just try and drink away the pain? Turn toward, turn toward sex outside of God's design? Turn, turn toward pornography? Should we turn toward drugs? Like, what is it? Is that the best route? Is it the best route to sprinkle on shame because you've gone down those routes and so you want to make sure that you feel even worse? It's a little shame dust, fun, a little seasoning to make it better. No. This is what James says. What to do in trying times? <laughs> Endure. Endure. It's fun. Super exciting. That's hard. To stand. In the midst of a storm where the rain is pelting, hail's coming down, hurricane's coming, tornado, it's a, it's a crazy stuff. And to stand firm, to endure, to stay right there in the grace of God. That's a hard thing. And I think James, isn't it so refreshing that James is not trying to sugarcoat it? Make us feel better about it when we're going through trying times. Because when you're in trying times, when you're suffering, that's not what you need. You don't need platitudes, right? You don't need cliches. You need someone to say, yeah, this, is, this hurts. But you'll be blessed on the other side of this. Right? Isn't that refreshing? Maybe not. I think it is. And so he's saying, endure. You know, remember, uh, so some of you guys, uh, high schoolers, you guys have been in this, you know, for those of you who are older, you remember studying for a test back in the day? You know, you, you knew the test was coming, it's like on a Friday or whatever. It's like, yeah, thanks. That's awesome. Um, and you, you open the book or you open your notes or both, and you're like studying for it, and you're like, you need to make sure you have the knowledge. Maybe you have to write a paper. You maybe have to write, answer the questions. And, you need to make sure that you got the knowledge, right? You got, you got the stuff in your head and you're able to regurgitate that out there and, and make sense of it. And, and that's what you needed. This trial, this kind of test he's talking about is not like that, y'all. It's not a matter of just getting the right information just right here. Okay. All right. I memorized James's verses and now I'm set. Now I know how to endure. That's not how it works. There's a thing called the school of hard knocks. Right? Life will beat you down if you let it. This is where you learn. You learn by living it and learn by applying the knowledge that you have. James isn't going to give you a 10-point plan on how to, how to endure the trial that you face. Because if you've ever endured more than one trial, you know that that path kind of looks a little bit different. Because you, some, some things come in your mind then, some thoughts that you know are not right, and you've got to work through that. Some moments, some people come into your life that make it even harder. Maybe some people make it better, and you've got to endure. You've got to endure all through that. The, the, the test that he's talking about is not one that you can simply study for and say, okay, I've got the answers. It's one that we have to learn and live out our wisdom in the process. To where we get, and when we do this, and we've gone through enough, the wisdom gets into our bones and it's part of us. But have you ever noticed that no matter how many trials you face, there's always that moment, there's always that period of time where you have to remind yourself of the good news of the gospel. 
of the good news that Jesus has gone before us, that he is the one who suffered on our behalf, and that we do not go to a God who does not uh, uh, understand what suffering is like. We go to a God who knows it. Y'all realize that every other religion in the world is, a, is designed to have you appease the, the deity so that you can avoid suffering. Do you realize that? That's, that's the design. How does that work out? Thanks be to God that we are not in a space like that. That The one true God is the one who cared enough that he decided to come down and enter into our mess because we were messy, we're sinful, all of us. No matter how nice you look on the outside, no matter how many days you've been in church, no matter if you were born on the front pew or front row, whatever, it doesn't matter. That we've all been in that space and he decided to come down, enter into that space and bring the kingdom of God, the place where there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more shame, no more guilt, no more any of that. And he decided to come and bring that. And he decided to take our sins, all the things that separated us from God, put it on himself and free us from the bondage of that. And to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit to indwell us so that when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we can truly fear no evil because he's with us. Because he's right there and he knows what it's like to suffer. It's hard to be in the space and next to someone when you're suffering and they've never suffered a day in their life. It's hard for them to understand, right? It's hard because you got to explain it. You're like, I don't know. And But someone who's been through it, they don't... You don't need to explain anything. They understand. They're just there. Y'all, you realize that God has suffered far more than any of us. By sending his son to die for you. He knows what it's like. He said, hey, I'm with you in this. I know that the rain is pouring down that you can't see. Your windshield wipers ain't working good enough. You can't see the path forward. I know that the hail's coming down and it hurts. I know that this trail that we're on in the woods is muddy and it doesn't make it. I can't see it. But what he's saying is, hey, I know the path to get through the suffering. So just hold on to me through it. That's not saying that God's going to just make it better. Wouldn't that be nice? If we just didn't deal with the suffering. But that's not what this life is. But God's making a way for us to experience a life like that one day. And he's already done the work. But he's calling us to endure. Why? Because when we have our anchor, the one we worship fully is our allegiance is with him and our loyalty is with him. Y'all, he is going to stay. He's not going to change. He's not going to run away because he got scared of the pain that's coming. He's right there with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And so James is saying, hey, y'all, endure, because you'll be blessed on the other side of this. Endure. James goes on, he says this in verse 13. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. Since God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. This is the path that some go down, right? Deal with some suffering. God, you did this. Why are you doing this? How dare you? How dare you take that person away from me? How dare you take that relationship away from me? How dare you take that 401k away from me? How dare you take that house from me? How dare you take that person? How dare you take this? Whatever it is, is. We start to blame God and we start to think that he is the one who caused the suffering. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. 
Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. James has been through some suffering. He knows what it's like. Because when you're weak, when you've dealt with some trials, it's in those moments where it's easiest to be tempted away from him. To be tempted to go down the evil path. To be tempted to sin. Because that's when we're weak and that's when the enemy wants to strike. And that's when our own desires within us come out because we're not getting them met. And that's why he's saying, don't be double-minded. Don't try and have two gods on the throne at the same time. It ain't going to work. It can't be your spouse and Jesus, y'all. Because if that's what's most important in your life, if God does not come number one, then when that person is gone, Because guess what? One of you will die before the other, likely. I mean, you might both go at the same time, which is what we've tried to like say, God, you you cool with that? But I don't know. I don't know if he's cool with that. But there may be a day that that comes. And if your hope is in them rather than him, Jesus, then your anchor will be off. Your, Your anchor will be away. And you'll be twisted and thrown and thrusted into the, the abyss. Because your God was not God. The same is true about any relationship, any family member, any job, any significant amount of resources or insignificant amount of resources. Any of us, we can put something on the throne. We can be double-minded. And just think that this is, this is my worship. And we find out what our real worship, the object of our worship is when we suffer. Because it's when those moments, that those desires creep up because they're not being met, because something was taken away from us, that we find out who really is on the throne. And sometimes when a person is on the throne, that's when we become real spiritual when we're suffering. But we become real spiritual about sinning. We're like, well, God doesn't care. It's fine. It's fine. We love each other, so, you know, it's fine. We sleep together before we're married. It's fine. God's okay with it, because I really want it. We get really spiritual when it's a sin that we really want. Oh, it's fine. You know, God knows how much they hurt me, so it's fine. He doesn't care if I exact revenge on them. I know Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself, but it's okay. Like, he won't mind if I roundhouse kick them in the face. It's all good. What, what else is it? There's all kinds of things when we are dealing with suffering that we are tempted to go down that path and say, God doesn't care. God doesn't mind. It's fine. Just another drink. I can get drunk and just drink away the pain. God won't care because he knows how much I hurt. Friends, that's not the path to take. God's not tempted. God's not causing you. By the way, the whole everything happens for a reason. You guys ever heard anybody say that? Everything happens for a reason. You ever said it? Anybody brave enough to put their hand up? What people usually mean when they say everything happens for a reason is, well, God is the you know puppeteer and he's causing all these things to happen. Everything happens for a reason. Sometimes we won't know what that reason is. I'm going to have to ask God when I get to heaven so that I can ask him why he did that to me, why he took that person away from me, or why he put that temptation right in front of me. Y'all, James is very clear 
everything happens for a reason. Sure. <laughs> Most of the times, the bad things that happen in your life, the reason is you made a dumb decision. Or somebody else made a dumb decision that impacted you. God's not the one causing this. We live in a sinful, broken world. Disease exists. Brokenness exists. Evil exists. That's why Jesus came. Take all those things away. One day we'll be able to live in light of that reality. But right now we are called to endure. And this is what it looks like. To stand in the grace of God. Because some of us, we can go towards self-justification. God doesn't care. I was justified in doing that thing. I suffered poorly. I just, you know, use our upbringing as an excuse. Our temptations, whatever. Like, we'll bring that as an excuse to self-justify. And we're like, well, okay, it's fine. Like, it's no big deal. Uh, this is sin, but it's a little sin. Or I think it is. And it didn't hurt anybody else, so it's fine. But... Against that is standing in the grace of God. This is the better path, to stand in the grace of God. That says to the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, hey, no one else condemns you because they're not perfect, and I don't condemn you either. Now go and sin no more. No condemnation and no sin. Like, you are forgiven, now go and live in light of who I've said and called you to be. Standing in the grace of God does not lead to self-justification. And it also doesn't lead to condemnation, because some of us, we go to that place. And we condemn ourselves for things that we did decades ago. And we know that God's forgiven us. But because we have so much pride as if we are sitting on the throne justifying and judging ourselves. We are condemning ourselves as if we're the one on the throne. We are not, friends. Let yourself go. Let, let it be in his hands. Standing in the grace of God says, no, your past is in his hands. He, Jesus went to the cross to pay for that, to pay for the thing you did yesterday, to pay for the thing you did today, and to pay for the thing you did tomorrow so you don't have any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's good news. So we can stand in the grace of God. This is what it looks like. This is what James, I think, is getting at, is when you're in the thick of a trying time, endure in the love of God. When you're in the thick of a trying time, endure in the love of God. It's easy to try and endure in your own strength. It's easy to try and endure in someone else's strength. It's easy to try and endure in trying to cope with all the other things. And you try and go to anger or distraction or isolation or indulgence or shame or whatever. But what, what I think James is getting at is that you can endure in the love of God. And when you endure in the love of God, that's good news because of what he says next. Verse 16, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. When you try and anchor yourself to something that is going to change, like your wealth, like your uh, relationships, like your job, like your accomplishments, like your lack of com accomplishments, whatever it is. Those things are like shifting shadows. That is an anchor that will not survive. But thanks be to God that he has given us a true anchor, one that does not change, and that is himself. And by the way, he is the one who gives the perfect gifts. He's not the one who's going to cause you to 
go down a bad path. He's the one who's given you a path to life, and that is Jesus coming down. Because while we're in the thick of this trying time, you may be in the thick of it, or you may be uh, headed into it at some point. You can walk in confidence, not because of your own strength, not because of your own goodness, but because of his strength, because of his goodness, because he's already gone before you. When you're in the thick of a trying time, endure in the love of God. Hold on to Jesus. He knows the path. He knows how to walk it. He knows where to go. He knows what to say to you. He knows how to love you. And some of us, we just need to let him love us in the midst of it. And I think on the other side of the trying time, we'll be blessed and we'll really sense that because we can lean on the one who wore a crown of thorns so that we can have the crown of life. He's the one who endured the ultimate suffering so that one day we can have life abundantly. We can have life abundantly now, but we can one day have life abundantly without suffering, without difficulty, because he's loved us that much. And so church, today, if you're in the midst of a difficult moment, let me encourage you that Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. So lean on him. If you know someone who's suffering, all you got to do is be present with them. You don't have to have the right words to say. If anything, you don't have to sugarcoat it. Be like James and say, hey, God's doing something in you. That may be really hard to see right now because you're in the thick of it and it's really hard to see it because you are disoriented. But he's doing something in you. And by the way, when you are suffering, you don't have to do it with style. It's not a competition. The path you take hopefully is the path that you walk with Jesus on and he's going to take us all on different paths that still lead to the same place. And that's him. But you may have to work out some relationships. You may need to work out some things that you've put on the throne and bring those down. But at the end of the day, you'll be blessed because you went through it because of what God's doing in you in the midst of it. So church, would you stand? We're going to pray and sing to our good God. Father in heaven, we come to you uh, on all kinds of situations with all kinds of things in our minds uh, as a group. Father, I, I, I know that on behalf of those who follow you, we are so grateful, Lord, for the fact that you, you were willing to pay the price of suffering to redeem us, even though we did not deserve it. God, you've showered us with grace and, and all we deserve really is condemnation. We deserve consequences of what we've done. We deserve to be treated like your enemy because that's what we were. And yet you've looked at us with compassion and love and you've made a way for us to be adopted as your children. God, that is mind-blowing. That you would look at each one of us and that you would look at us and you would see our actual worth 
as infinite worth because you were willing to pay the infinite price to have us in your family. That is crazy. But we're so grateful that you have loved us in a crazy way. We don't understand it a lot of times. We don't fully comprehend it a lot. We need to be reminded of it day in and day out. But God, I pray that as we uh, go through whatever we go through in life, that we can keep our eyes focused on you and our arms clinging to you as you just lead us through it. God, we pray that you would remind us of your presence with us when we are suffering, because when we're suffering, uh, it's easy for us to get disoriented and forget what is true. God, thank you for being with us. Thank you for always going ahead of us, for always knowing what we need. Jesus, would you remind us of your love for us? Would you remind us of how good you are? Holy Spirit, please do a work in us in the midst of our suffering. Don't, uh, please don't let us uh, ignore it, but help us to look it straight in the face and trust you in the process. Because you know that we know that we're, you're, you're standing right next to us, looking at it too. And nothing can overcome you. You have overcome the world. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast by First Church of Christ in Bluffton, Indiana. For more information, visit FCCFamily.com.